Well, welcome everybody to Totem Realty Advisor podcast number nine. I've uh, had a little bit of a break since number eight, but we are excited to get back into it. And the current event is not this, but we're going to start with Michael's fashion statements over the last two days. Today, he just told us that his shirt is in... uh, It's a tribute. It's a tribute tribute to Prince. Prince. A musical genius, by the way. (laughs) It's little raindrops on the shirt. That's the design. And it's purple rain. And And what was it yesterday? In a vacuum, that would not be a big deal. But yesterday, he had a tribute to Arnold Palmer... Which was the shirt had little uh, lemonade glasses and uh, the umbrella from Latrobe or Latrobe um, golf balls. What yeah. is the umbrella from Latrobe? You keep that's the it? logo for Latrobe Country Club. Oh, okay. And that was the logo Arnold Palmer put on all those shirts. And then was the umbrella. The, the umbrella, umbrella is also a staple at Bay Hill. Ah, as well. well, he designed that, right? Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. And the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Learn something new every day. There you go. So how about that? Podcast today starts with current events in Michael the fashion Michael Castle, world. fashion icon. Yes. Um, but what is the real current event that has your... Uh... <laughs> the real one or the one we're going to talk about? Um, Either the one. The one we're going to talk about. But the about. one we're going to talk about as it relates to real estate. Yes. Um, so uh, everybody is on the edge of their seat. Um, due to uh, our friends at the Fed increasing the interest rates. So that was, I don't know if it was three weeks ago now or two when that actually went into effect. Um, but they, um, it was a three-quarter point hike, um, which is the largest interest rate increase that we have seen in this country in about 30 years. I think 1994 was the last um, interest rate of that um, size. So everyone is, you know, I probably have conversations a couple times a week in the last two weeks, three weeks with people asking, what's the market doing now? What's the market doing now? So everyone wants to talk about inflation and now the rising interest rates trying to combat that inflation or curb that inflation. Um, so I thought today we could talk a little bit about how this interest rate increase or interest rate increases in general can impact the lending atmosphere and therefore the activity we see in the commercial real estate market. Um, I also thought um, it would be interesting to um, maybe tie that into investment real estate in particular um, because people still have money and they still need to put it somewhere and um, so does the interest rate increase impact investment lending and to what degree more or less than normal lending so is this today's podcast or yes a series we just for the gotta next, talk fast <laughs> or a series for the next calendar no, year so we have to talk fast so um <laughs> so we need to figure out a way how to bite size it right how to turn it right. into little mini questions well the end of to your first question is, yes, interest rates do affect the lending capacity of a bank. Right. And who can qualify for a loan and debt service coverages, and it will have a dramatic effect on smaller players investing in real estate. Absolutely. Yeah, and so I'm actually, the reason that this is kind of front and center in my brain is that um, we're working with a client right now 
who um, was under contract for a building a month and a half ago, um, s- terminated that contract and now is under contract on or going to be under contract on a different building, but obviously different loan applications a month and a half, two months apart, and now he's facing a pretty substantial jump in interest rate. And what what kind of jump? Let's be specific. Um, I actually hundred percent. No, um, I think a percentage point. Right, but I think that it was from like three and three quarters, so three point seven five percent into the fives, which is almost fifty percent increase, maybe a little bit more. So substantial. It's not just that it was three quarters of a point or a quarter of a point in the right. grand total of his loan cost, it's more than 50%. Okay, explain It's a that. game changer. Explain that. Explain. Which changes the whole dynamic of the loan. Right. Specifically is the money that he is borrowing from a bank is, it costs more. So, right. basically, let's use round numbers. Let's say his loan was for $100,000. And if his interest rate was for deal one, the one that he terminated, was mm-hmm. 3.75%, uh, then he, on his $100,000, had $3,750 of interest on an annualized basis. That exact same loan, I think you said a month and a half later, if he's now at 5%, which is 1.25% higher, is now $5,000 of interest, which is roughly 50% more, a little bit less than 50% more in total costs to him annualized. Yeah, it's definitely less than 50%. Well, 50% on uh, 3.75 is another 1600 in change, so it's close to 50% increased in cost. And that's only a $100,000 loan. His loan's going to be... Six fifty. So let's just say seven hundred thousand dollars. So it's multiplied that by seven. So his coverage ratio, the amount of money that he has to produce to actually qualify for that loan, probably went up. Now the loan is not. It's so he's either have to put more equity down to keep his interest rates and, and payment back the same, or he's going to have to take out less money. And yeah. if he takes out less money, that means he has to put more of his own money into it. Right. So it does change, and it's not just like you know one point is this, but the uh, the changes are exponential. Yeah, and if we like even simplify it further down to like your friends who are asking both about your business and career and industry, but they're also probably thinking about their own personal like, what's the cost of my mortgage and my house going to be? I mean, in less than six months, the cost of a 30-year mortgage has gone from, in round numbers, 3% to 6%. That is a 100% increase in cost. Mm. Um, And even as I sit here today, I mean, we were looking at potentially moving. We did not refinance at the end of 2021 because it didn't make a whole lot of sense because there is costs to refinancing. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense to refinance if we were going to move. But now we have decided not to move, and we didn't refinance, and we have something that I know you wanted to ask about called an ARM, Mm. which is an adjustable rate mortgage. So it happens even to the best of them. Yeah, so 
that with the, the client that I was talking to about terminating one contract, now about to go under contract on another property, the new loan is now an adjustable rate mortgage. Um, I guess because of the volatility of the market, lenders are using that to kind of hedge their risk maybe. So he was able to get a lower rate up front. So I actually think his rate up front for the adjustable rate mortgage, I believe it was in the low to mid fours or mid fours. Okay, so he didn't so, have that immediate jump. Right. Right. Um, but then after 10 years, and he gets a 10 year initial term. Hmm. So it's a slightly lower rate locked in at a 10 year term. But then after that 10 years, it flexes with the market. But what I don't understand, and maybe you're proof of it, is, is if you're coming up on the end of your, the fixed portion of your interest rate for the initial period of an adjustable rate mortgage, and the market's crazy and the interest rates are super high, why don't people just refinance? Like how, like I'm curious as to how many people actually take out an adjustable rate mortgage and see that mortgage through to the end and expose themselves to the risk due to the volatility of interest rate fluctuation. Well, very few mortgages actually go from cradle to grave. Okay, usually at some point in time you've either sold the property or you have refinanced the property or something of, of that nature. But, you know, the whole idea of an arm an adjustable rate mortgage is to have that lower cost in the front. And if interest rates remain low, so interest rates have been low for the past, what, 10 years? Even At least, more. possibly 20. even more than that. Yeah. I don't know whether they've been as low as they have, but typically the interest rates for, you know, for money have been sub five numbers. <clears throat> so, and, and recently they've been even lower than that. There's been no reason to do that because the index that they use to adjust the, the mortgage is always low. So the arm only works against you when interest rates evolve and they go much higher. And depending on what type of arm product you use. Also you, the term. In the term, you've got the ability to protect against quick changes. Like the arm that we have, which is not expiring yet, so we still have the protection. Um, even when it loses its, quote, arm feature, it still has the maximum change of like two percentage points every three years. So it's not as if, you know, if interest rates tripled tomorrow, it would not impact us. Um, yeah, but I guess I don't understand why <laughs> banks still offer that as a product, knowing that if rates do go higher, people will just can just refinance to get out of it. But I guess they'd be refinancing at a time where it's higher, so that doesn't happen as much refinancing as Refinancing at a time where it's higher, and also recognizing that most people are asleep at the switch and forget about it. And then when they go to refinancing, the fees associated with refinancing coupled with potentially the equity they have to put into the investment makes it very difficult for them. So the banks are doing it to create an opportunity to extract capital. And for most of the banks, that the bank that you took the mortgage out with, they don't own the mortgage. They've sold yeah, the mortgage five that. or six times down the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess the what was not making sense to me before was the the realization that 
if you get to the end of your locked in rate and interest rates are super high, interest rates will be super high for you to refinance anyways. So it's six in one, half dozen in the other. And okay. a lot of people who have an uh, adjustable rate mortgage are only paying interest. So in your example about this client, I'm not sure if that's the case, but if they're only paying interest and they've not paid down any principal and there's been no appreciation in the home or the investment, then to my previous point, they would actually have to come to the table to refinance with more capital because now the terms of borrowing have changed. So not only did interest rates go up, but the amount, as Michael said, the debt coverage ratio. So the amount of the loan that you can get for the same value has also changed. So if you've only paid interest, interest rates rose, your arms up, and the value of the house or the investment did not increase, you would then be coming to the table again. You need the 30 or- With equity. Yeah, 20 you'd have to, to 30% bring, percent equity for the loan to value. You'd have Different to bring a, what you put in originally. A, a certain amount, yeah. you would have to do that. And then and the arm is just a, one of the various financial products that a bank will have to lend money. Yeah, you know, that's they're... definitely another podcast. <laughs> no, it is, it is, but that's the whole thing is they're trying to fit in there. And when you talked about the, you're not paying any interest on it. In, very, in some cases, if your arm was low enough and had a small enough window initially, you could actually have negative amortization, whereas you're adding loan amount based on the fact that your interest rate was so small in the front end of the loan. Right. And then the other part of a, an arm, a 10-year arm, that's a long financial instrument. Usually arms adjust yeah, every seven. year. Seven is seven. Even seven is long. You know, typically they're going to have adjustments every year for, uh, I'm talking about a typical, uh, let's just say a residential mortgage, that have adjustments every year for a period of three years. And the swings, you know, if you have 2% bumps, in your case, you have a three-year window. Mm -hmm. So your rate is assured that it's not going up any more than 6% in the space of nine years. That's a pretty decent protection. Some of them don't afford you that kind of protection. So they can be a really, really tough instrument. Yeah. So let's shift that um, from current event discussion to real estate application and um, talk a little bit about how that increase in interest rate is impacting um, commercial real estate from a owner, user, or occupant perspective. Both is the simple answer. No, but I mean, so rather than, I guess rather than, or talk about it as how it's going to impact that scenario versus um, investment activity, real estate investment activity. Like, is, is there, do you see this curbing the appetite for people looking to invest in real estate? Definitely curbing the values of the investments in real estate. And I would say the larger the value, the more impact that this most recent change has and the future changes will have, because this change was not a one time. This was three uh, changes in a row coupled by soon more to come. The forecast is there going to be eight changes. Yeah. And we're already three into them. Right. So um, 
a hundred percent it impacts value and the larger the value the more um impactful small changes make i mean if the loan's a hundred thousand dollars and it increases by three quarters of a percent it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things if the loan's a million dollars starts to get pretty impactful if the loan's ten million dollars and you just keep adding a zero you know i would say as we sit here today in June 29th, 2022, transactions north of $100 million of loan value are seriously impacted, if not frozen, by what is going on in the valuation game between where interest rates were 90 days ago and where they're at today. But again, the, the guy who has a lot of money, the guy who is very credit positive, now or liquid. Has, or liquid. He has his own capital that he can deploy because now the return on his own capital is going to be in line with whatever you have to pay for his debt. So it changes the whole focus of how you would invest in something. Should I use somebody else's money or should I use my own money? So earlier on in my career at Totem, <laughs> I mean, before I started working in commercial real estate, I always thought the goal was to be debt-free. And then we had a very great, like one of our Kevin Riley whiteboard sessions during a Tuesday morning meeting. And you pointed out that to be appropriately leveraged is the most ideal scenario because then the money that you have, say you have a million dollars to invest, you can split up your million dollars across however, you know, multiple assets rather than buying one asset outright. So your money is working harder for you in that scenario. So... Do you in round numbers, you could have multiplied that by five. You could have invested $5 million you could instead of levered the Levered right. it. So now I'm, I'm not buying a million dollars worth of real estate with a million dollars in cash. Right. Now I'm buying $2 million or $3 million of real estate with a million dollars in cash. And I'm using somebody else's money to cover for it. And if that money, the cost of that money is inexpensive, better for me. So if the cost of that money became expensive, worse for me. Right. So do you think that the interest, the increasing interest rates now, do you think that that's going to spur more all cash buyers still investing in real estate? Or do you think it's going to shy people away from investing in real estate and maybe push them towards other places to put their capital? Like if you put money into stocks, that's not requiring you to take out a loan at 6% interest. So do you think that that will deter people from investing in real estate? I think it will change the way that they invest in real estate. I think that people will look for more value. I think they'll, people will look for, they'll, they'll just be a little bit more scrutinous and there's going to be a lot less purchasers because there's a lot of people that purchase real estate that do rely on leverage and have become addicted to very low interest rates. So now I'd say half the purchasers that would normally be in the market are no longer going to be there. So there's going to be a, a number of different unique alternatives or new, unique opportunities. So those particular investors that are all cash buyers, they might be a little bit more scrutinous on what it is that they're buying. And maybe they can say, no, I'm not ready to buy this yet and wait for the prices to go down. And the prices will go down. If I'm that million dollar um, building, and I have a million dollars worth of debt on this, and unfortunately my loan came through, or I had to re refinance, 
and I have an interest rate hit. And I was waiting till I got this really long-term tenant before I went back to the bank and I just mistimed the market. Well, now I have a tenant that is a fixed revenue stream for the next 10 years, though my cost out of com with no control that I had have gone up exponentially. My property is worth less because it costs more for me to own it. And so that lease that I thought was going to be a great lease and a great investment because is it took no, too long, it negatively impacted. It's not that it took too long. It's just things changed during the course well, of this. Well, the timing this, of it happened the to timing right, did not fall work. after the interest rate yes. increase. So how does but it this doesn't make it bad real estate. It just means that it's bad real estate for the person who paid X for it. So now the guy who has the, he paid X for it. Or that it's less profitable than it once was. For that it's guy. It's less right. profitable for that guy. Mm -hmm. So now it costs me more to own, own this. I'm much more motivated to sell it because this for the next 10 years is going to bleed me dry. It but you could sell it to someone who could take advantage of that extended term. At a lower valuation. At a lower valuation. Lower with more equity and less more debt. More equity, less debt. They are right-sized. And now the guy who wants to re-leverage it, he, he, can't, he, he can no longer re-leverage his property because the rates are so much higher. Unless He's, he has... Equity. Unless he has equity. And pays down debt. And then that takes out his and other that equity. same outside. tenant's rent could still cover the debt. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't have any equity or any partners to go to and ask for equity, then he's in a pickle. It's yeah. called being upside down. Yeah, but he also, even if he has to put more equity in it, that's less of a return than he was expecting. Because now he, he has... he promised to his investors. He had promised to investors. So you're going to have that kind of volatility and that kind of dynamic... So I think that's probably going to be good for the market. It's going to be bad for the guy who owns the property, mm -hmm. but it's going to be good for the market. But make no mistake about it. There is still a billions, if not trillions of dollars out there looking to invest in real estate because real estate is a very inflationary, uh, safe place to invest versus the stock market. And those people, all they're doing right now is resetting their valuations and resetting their debt to equity relationship. Meaning if they were getting mortgages at 80% of value, now they might be getting mortgages at 65%. They still exist out there. There's still lots of transactions happening. That's, I think, to your point when your question or your friends ask the question, like, oh my gosh, is the sky falling in? Is nothing happening? And no, I mean, disruption at the end of the day is a really good thing for the commercial real estate market. All, all real estate markets. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So do you think, um, you know, we, we work with some people who are big fans of the 1031 exchange, um, which is a tax deferment. You can take capital gain. I'm going to probably explain this poorly, but you can take your capital gains from the sale of one asset and without paying the tax on those capital gains, you can flip it into another investment within a certain time frame. Mm -hmm. You can defer the payment. Defer the payment. If you invest your capital gain from the sale of the first asset into another one. Yep. What's the time frame? A year? I think you have 45 days to identify it and you have Oops. six months or a year to close. I'm not 100% okay. positive of it, but it's the, the play is I'm not paying the government today. Yeah. Going to are pay those them, people just not today. 
shitting Unless, their pants right now? <laughs> no. Which people? No. <laughs> the people who have participated in 1031 exchanges and have maybe sold off smaller assets, flipped those proceeds into a larger asset, and now they're facing, I mean, it all depends on how long you hold the asset, but now they're facing the potential of, oh God, I want to retire and I want to be done with this in the next five years. And I'm looking at potentially eight interest rate increases in the next year and a half, two years, three years that are all three quarters of a point each. And then when I get out of this, like that could very fundamentally change someone's it really depends on when your time frames kicked in right. right it could be okay so if i have uh i'm i'm looking to sell this property and the guy i'm going to sell it to maybe he's not going to get his loan because of the changes in the dynamics of the lending market yeah now i'm in trouble because i've obligated myself to buy something else not that you have to go ahead and buy it but it kind of screwed up how you were looking at your whole tax world yeah, but even still, say you're in an investment that you were thinking you were just going to do kind of like a value-add flip. Um, so you sold off a couple of smaller properties, flipped it into a 80,000-square-foot property, and you were going to lease it up and then sell that in the next three years. That's not a great position to be in, correct? That is not a great position Yeah, to but be you, in. Might have to, you might have to hold it longer. It might change its... It, you you do a tax-free exchange not based on interest rates. You do it based on deferment of taxes. Right, but we work with so many people who do that serially. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they take one thing, they add value, they flip out of it, flip it into a new investment, add value, flip out of it, flip into something else. But all that changes in the 1031 world is it just might prolong when they can flip into the next thing. Mm-hmm. It hasn't caused them to have to pay taxes. It just has caused them to maybe not realize growth in the next asset for a period of time. They or still have, they would have to hold it for longer than they intended yeah. to hold it in order to they're let going, the market stabilize. They're, they're going to have to be a little bit more cautious about what their investment opportunities are, but it's the same type of thing. Let's just say they, if they have a heavily leveraged property that they're selling, they're not in a good position. Anybody who is heavily leveraged is not in a good position. Anybody who has right-sized or less than right-sized leverage, you're probably in a pretty good position. As long as you don't plan to sell it in the next several years before interest rates but, come back down. But because what, if you sell it and realize those capital gains while interest rates are so high, or is it different rates? I don't know. All, the capital only thing, gains taxes different than interest rates? <laughs> So it's yes, okay. It's, that's what I'm they're, missing. They're not yeah. related, and the, so it the doesn't. Whole idea, one doesn't impact the other. In one doesn't way. impact now. If Got you were it. going to sell a property that was, let's say, you had a million dollars worth of capital gains, or you sold a property for a million dollars, all you're required to do is buy another like-kind property for a million and one dollar. But if you sold the property for a million dollars and you leverage yourself into a ten million dollar property, yeah, you might be facing some. Uh, some difficult times, but then that goes back to the, the capital stack that you're dealing with. Got it. So, yeah, I don't know why. I was just assuming that capital gains tax would be impacted somehow by that. But I no. guess if you, it's just all about the debt servicing expense and not really, yeah, cause doesn't you don't, impact you, you when don't you sell in, it. You don't experience the capital gains tax until you sell. Right. So all that's doing is reducing your profit if you have to pay the tax. I, it just, in my mind, I was just thinking that was gonna go up as well and people would get hit with a much higher 
well, taxes always go tax up. when so, they do flip out of it. That's one thing that's consistent is taxes go up. So your assumption is accurate in the long run that if you had to defer your sale because of interest rates, by the time you go to sell, capital gains also could have increased. Um, they, potentially. Potentially. It's not that they would have increased in that period of time. They will increase over time, but you know, it's it's a timing game. And that's not something that's impacted by inflation or rising interest rates. Rates. Until the until the, until the government decides that oh okay they need now to raid we're, we're, we're going to we're going to raise your capital gains right you know capital gains I'm I'm going to get this wrong but the idea was right there was a time it was during uh, George the Sun's uh, administration where he had lowered capital gains and um, they went down to I don't know maybe it went down to ten percent or de- or decreased every. 10 years or something like that, or every every year during a 10-year window, and then they went back up to the 20%. The most recent increase in capital gains has come from the Obamacare tax. Over a certain amount of money, if you sold that, uh, your taxes went up, I think it's three and a half or three and three quarters percent. So right now, if you sold property, for the most part, for capital gains, you should be looking at um, 23 and three quarters percent is of your gain is what would be taxed. That's what you would be deferring if you were um, reinvesting, it, reinvesting it. And does that percentage, is it like with your income tax bracket where that percentage increases or decreases depending on your like no, net fixed, worth or no, income it's a, or it's anything? Capital gains. So Long-term it's just gains. fixed across the board, whether yeah. it's a $70,000 um, cash out of like a retirement account or a... Well, we're not a retirement account. Accounts a bad example. Yeah. Stocks, yeah, yeah. Or stocks. long-term capital gains. So anything that fits into the IRS's bucket of long-term capital gains, which is anything over a year, correct? is yes, is taxed at X. twenty-three point whatever percent for everyone across the board. No, no, it's taxed at twenty percent, and then over a certain amount of money, I think I believe it's a gain of two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I I'm probably wrong about that. But anything over that amount gets an additional three and three quarters tax, and I could be wrong about the three and the, the quarter part of it, that is used to support the Affordable Care Act. Okay. That was the and so, but that's all within capital gains. Short-term capital gains are taxed at your standard income level, depending on where you're at in the yeah. Got it. The food chain. Food chain. Well, that was a or really long rabbit taxes hole. Taxes are. But. Um, just to rewind the tape really quick, back to um, like a ten, like tenant representation or mm-hmm. landlord representation. Um, how does this change the leasing landscape when you consider a sixty thousand square foot or any any amount of square foot office user that is now moving into a space and wanting the, the landlord to build it out? And how do you know that is this new? You know, the increasing interest rates are obviously going to come back to the tenant as a planned expense for the landlord in a build-out, correct? Um, not in the form of a build-out, but in the form of a lease structure, yes. If you, were, if you wanted to do short-term leases, you would be putting yourself at risk based on interest rate rises. So by having long-term leases that, let's say, had fixed 
controlled escalations, you wouldn't subject yourself yourself to, well, this is going to be my cost at market. Okay, your increased rate. So if let's say you're pay, paying $20 and you have a 2% increase to your to your rent fixed, or you have no increase, you have it flat for five years, the landlord is at risk if he has lease if he has interest rate risk. So his costs, even though nothing changed in the building, could easily be going up, and that would change his posture when it comes time for him to renew a lease with you. Mm -hmm. If you have a lease that's for $20 a foot, and then at your renewal, it states in the lease, we'll just negotiate the extension. His motivation is to get as much as humanly possible because his costs have gone up. And if you wanted to stay there, you're kind of at risk. Right. Do you think it'll impact a landlord's willingness to amortize build-outs over the term of a lease? Yeah, because their cost yeah. of capital has increased. Their cost of capital has increased, absolutely. And you know, you used a 60,000 square foot tenant example. That's a big tenant. Mm -hmm. um, probably has a really good balance sheet. Probably has the ability to borrow money or use cash at a really low rate compared to landlords who typically are highly levered and their cost of capital is high. So, yes, the relationship between who's paying for the tenant work right now is absolutely changing as we speak. Is my money cheaper than yours? And that's and really what it boils down to. And we should do a whole podcast just about that. But. Yeah, because that's a that's a fascinating thing because some people just don't some people require a huge return on their uh, on their capital. Some people have a little bit more patient money, and that might be a way of skinning the cat. Yeah, I mean, tenants that we've worked with sometimes will be like, well, we want the landlord to pay for it as a tenant improvement allowance because it's their money. I'm like, well, it's their money that they're borrowing from somebody else, charging interest, and then passing it through to you in the form of rent. Um, and if their cost of capital in today's world is 5%, but you have cash on hand or you could borrow at 2 or 3% because you're a really well-capitalized tenant, you might want to do the tenant improvement works with your money, get a reduced rental rate, and not be succumbed to the landlord's, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, uh, fairly high cost of capital. Yeah, if you can get 3% money to do improvements and he's charging you 10, you're going to use your money. Because over the evaluation of it, it's going to be less expensive. Yeah, and historically, I mean, even throughout my most of my career, um, I have seen, you know, a fair rate for a landlord to charge for tenant improvement dollars is somewhere between like four and six percent, because they were borrowing money at two or three percent. So you let them make a little bit of an increase, right? But if they're borrowing money at five or six percent, it's not going to be passed through to the tenant. Okay, Paige, this is where I talk about being old. Yes, this is where Let's old comes in. Okay, when I got into the real estate business, okay, my first residential mortgage was at 13%. And I can remember interest rates in the 18 plus range. I can remember inflation in the 20% range. Was that when they just invented credit and so they did? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Paige. Yeah. That's, That's what exactly what it was. Men Men started to walk upright, I think. Maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe they were still The crouched. Federal Reserve just got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. 13%? Uh, 18. 18%. Jeez. 18%. That's a it's credit coming. card. Pardon? That's a credit card. That's a credit card interest rate. <laughs> in your lifetime. In my yes. lifetime. Yes. Yeah, in your lifetime. But this is That's something that wild. was done. No, this is... 
this was that's just the way it was and that changed the dynamic of how things happened too but no you it it occurred you we actually had companies that would um they would try to they were interim financial companies that would finance tenant improvements they would offer different loan structures so that the landlord did not have to take it on to take a second position in the building yeah so it, uh, it was just an interesting time because things cost a lot of money to build and you had to be creative about how you approached it yeah. it was a lot of owner financing of sales do you think we'll start to see more of that with this I increase? Any, or do you think there's more mechanisms now to... No, I think any time that you have a, a, a volatility, someone's going to come up with a different way of looking at it. And a lot of times the different way is what used to be done. So yeah, I think that you'll see people that, that, that make decisions based on what does that mean to me. Um, so the other takeaway from this for me personally is maybe I should just still get a car. Because it's just going to get worse. Is that what we're saying? Mm. <laughs> I think it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Yeah. I but think... like for a long time, do we think? Well, what's a long time? Like more than two years. <laughs> so we've gone, we're going to end the podcast with Paige's car buying decision. Should I buy a car now or wait? There's going to be a poll in the comment section. Yes. Please we're going to do a poll in the comment section. Um... Well, here's what I know. I think it has everything to do with what kind of car you want. And I'm going to use two examples. This has nothing to do with real estate. How did we get on this topic? Yeah, that was just me being... You can go to GMC right now today Mm -hmm. and buy a brand new car, if your credit score allows, with 0% interest fixed for 60 months. That's wild. So you told me about that a couple months ago. You and think you that's still a thing? Do you think it's that's still, still a thing, thing right now? Promise, guarantee. Hmm. God, I really like okay. Jerseys. Yeah. They are giving away cars. But dude, but <laughs> giving away cars. Nobody is giving away anything. Hold on. Let they, me finish. Oh, please. I apologize. <laughs> on the other side of the equation, you've got the brand new Ford F one fifty Lightning. Mm-hmm. That if you bought it today for eighty thousand dollars, you could sell it tomorrow for a hundred and ten, plus or minus. So, what kind of car do you want to buy will dictate the outcome of the poll and whether or not interest rates have anything to do with your choice. Do you cook? I do. You ever make a cake? Yeah. You know That's all the ingredients, but yes. Yeah, no, you know, you know, you know all the ingredients. Cooking, baking, whatever. All the ingredients they get baked in the cake. The same as cars. Okay, the interest rate. Should you choose to use the zero percent finance, the car is more expensive. Should you buy the car directly, there is a discount that's attached to it. That's the way it always works. It's just done. It's a financial game, like you say, a mechanism, an instrument. However, that. That's how they finance the car, and that's how they move the lot off the inventory. So, yes, it fits into. It goes back to what is your, what is your budget? What fits into you? What are you spending on the car now? What, what is the new car going to give you? Does it make sense to do it? Does it fit into your lifestyle? Is that something that you can see down the road? How much is your existing vehicle going to devalue between now and the time that you own the car? All that stuff goes into the the whole mix. Right. We have officially switched from current events 
real estate to self-help for page self <laughs> guidance yeah. for car buying for page it, it is yeah. a wrap this is pages therapy corner and the life, answer, and life the answer guidance is, this isn't therapy this is no like, no well the next guidance. one can be <laughs> no <laughs> big old episode 10 we gotta but to to bring this kind of HGB, full off circle, the cameras. <laughs> i think the thing that's most interesting about the real estate uh, interest rates is this has not stopped and your window of two years, I think that's a safe number because two years will be the new change in administration. Something's going to happen. Whether Joe Biden continues to keep his, uh, his position as president or someone else replaces him on either side, someone will change monetary policy. That is a given. That right. is an absolute given. But that won't occur for two years. So the Federal Reserve has said... The way we're going to try to attack inflation, and like you said, inflation is bad. It's been worse, but it is bad. And for yeah. your lifetime, this is as bad as it has ever, ever been. Well, yeah, when you have a global pandemic and inject trillions of dollars into for whatever, the whatever economy, reason we talk about this, happen. yes, right. yes, yes. I think this stopping everybody from working for two years and then all of a sudden putting giving everybody as much money as humanly possible and not stopping the printer pressings. I feel like they could have given me more money, to be honest. But. Yeah, that would have yeah, been good it. for some people. Yeah, well, not so much for the inflation. Okay, rabbit well, hole, right. rabbit hole. All right. Okay, well. but there is, the, 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 he has said, the head of the Fed has said, I am going to fight this by trying to raise interest rates. And again, we're at, Mid five, six, let's just say residential rate, depending on what index that you're using as how they're measuring the interest rate, okay, it's going up. And I think it's going to get to easily into the plus seven, possibly plus eight range within the next year. Now, that's the Michael Castle crystal ball. Okay, so if you think that this has changed today, wait till tomorrow. Because mm -hmm. every day you wake up, gas is just as expensive the cost of food is just as expensive, and it continues to go up. And I think one of the things that, now this is my tin hat thing, I don't think they're telling you the real numbers. You go to the store and you see the real numbers every day. So interest rates are going to go up because that's the only tool that the Fed has right now to fight inflation. And inflation, for those reasons, we have a supply chain crisis, we have a war going on, we have everyone them flooding the, the, uh, the economy with money. We have a lot of turmoil in this country right now. Interest rates are going to be affected by that, and they are going to go up even more than that. Right. So well, really quickly. Oh, I mean, I oh am fascinated by this, and this is a good this is a good I life learning I wasn't thing. Even done. This is a good life learning thing that does have implications. Obviously, we've talked about in real estate. Um, but a scenario that I'm curious about is so the Fed uses interest rate increases to offset or to try to curb inflation with the thought that they increase the interest rates, less people will spend money and they'll start to like tamper down on the amount of money being injected into the economy. And if there's less demand, then the supply prices will increase will and prices will go down. But what if people just keep spending? What if the heathens like me are like, hey, anything could happen. Let's just keep taking out loans. This Let's is just why. You mean, you mean because that's something you've never done or had, ever had to deal with in your entire life? Yeah, that's a possibility. <laughs> it's a possibility and it's real. That's why interest rates it's are going to keep going up. It's extremely real and they're going to continue to go up. But let's go back like three years. One of the reasons we have inflation is because the feds didn't 
raise interest rates. They kept the interest rates the same so that growth would still continue to occur, and they didn't have that kind of governor. That's a real you know, symbiotic connection with your interest rates and your inflation. But then they pump trillions of dollars and in they the pump economy. Trillion People dollars. start spending it. You have that one up. event there. And now, I mean, and this is, this is, you know, the best economists in the world are going to sit down and have the same conversation. They have no clue. And never come to, a, to any kind mm-hmm. of consensus here. But the point being that having seen it a couple of times, all right, it's going to occur. It's going to go up. And that's going to create even more volatility. And more volatility just means get people who can think downstream, get people to help you, get counsel to help you that will say, okay, this is what you should be considering. Because just like you just trying to decide, do I buy this car? Someone is eventually gonna go into your office and start putting this thing down on paper and say, if you do this, this will happen. Okay, if you do this and this happens, this will happen. Yeah, I would like someone to come in my office and do that for me right now. <laughs> well, offline, we're going to do that with okay, you. Great. My vote is you should buy the car. What's your vote? I don't have enough information. Okay, or, okay well, we'll work things. on it. The crowd can vote for sure. I love it. And at the end of the day, Michael, I thought you wrapped that up perfectly. Our clients can count on understanding how this stuff impacts them. Because it will impact you. And yep. if you yeah. think if you think that it's everyone's gotta deal with it, someone is gonna come up being a winner and someone unfortunately is gonna be on the other side of the equation. Right. And that's the important part because it has happened before and it's happened a bunch of times. This is when they say it's cyclical, it's because people continue to screw it up. Well, we're still here, we're proud of it, mm-hmm. and we're excited about the next wave. A winner or loser, Pikesville. I did not like it. Oh, I can't uh, say anything bad against uh, Uncle Clifford. This is another Heaven Hill product. Um, this is a straight white rye whiskey. And uh, no. Can someone is, uh, please send this to Heaven Hill? Oh, my God. All just, right. He just, it's like something clicks in his personality. And he becomes Vanna White. Vanna White. Uh, all, all right, right folks. Prince. Thanks for Prince, Hidden Hill, and in... And this happens to be a Peter Millar shirt if anyone's giving uh, endorsements here. Are you clamoring for sponsorships over here? We'll see you on episode 10. (laughs) Thank you.